welcome to Sotastic Podcast. My name is Roshan India. Today we have with us a very special guest. Her name is Diane Fabi. By background, she is an educator and counselor located in Southwest Florida. But uh, I also want to mention her professional background. She actually works through Diocese of Venice in Florida. She also works through private practice through BetterHelp, providing counseling services and mainly uh, we want to bring her on because she has extensive experience in emotional well-being with both children and parents. And she completed her PhD in childhood studies at Rutgers University, which is actually the first of a kind program in the U.S. So Diane, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. How are you today? I'm well, thank you, Roshan. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And uh, the topic that we're going to be talking about today, I can't wait to hear your thoughts and get your insights into it just because of so much relevant experience that you have, right? So, but before we get started, why don't we learn a little bit more about you, your professional life, over and above what I was sharing. Sure. Well, again, thanks for having me. And it's so great to be part of this. I'm so excited about everything that you're doing with Sotastic, really fantastic ideas. So a little bit about my background. Um, I actually started as a special education teacher and did that for about 10 years uh, in Philadelphia area and then went over to England for a year and taught there. And when I returned, I felt like I wanted a change from working with younger kids. So I went to the college level and I worked there for many years um, in the career development area, actually. And um, from there, I worked for a nonprofit doing student internships and training and development. But that was curtailed by the events of 9-11, unfortunately, Mm. um, because working in the the New York area and so much changed because of that. And as a result, the program I was working in uh, ended. And so I decided Mm. to go back full circle, uh, back into counseling full time. And I worked as a school counselor in New Jersey for 13 years and also did a private uh, therapy practice until I moved to Southwest Florida in 2015, where I'm doing the same now. I work now in the private schools. I work with children of all ages, basically pre-K four all the way up to 18. And I provide school counseling services to um, students, parents, uh, families, staff, and I also work part-time for BetterHelp, which is an online counseling platform. So lots of different ways to be serving kids and families, and it, it brings a, a lot of satisfaction. Oh, yeah, I bet. I bet. I mean, first of all, you definitely have a huge amount of experience, but the fact that uh, you enjoy what you do, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's a help to a lot of uh, people that get counseling services through you and, you know, get advising through you, right? So Well, I uh, appreciate that. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Well, it uh, brings me to uh, a special point that I want to mention because you were kind enough to advise the Sotastic team, especially Mm -hmm. in its inception. I wanted to just get your thoughts on why did you see potential with Sotastic? Oh, my goodness. Well, you have so much to offer and what you're offering touches upon nearly every aspect of life. And one of the things I try to instill in my students, especially on the career development side, is how you spend your time is how you spend your life. But that's also true of money. How you spend your money is how you're spending your life, too. And there's so much background that goes into that, you know, into the thinking, into um, choosing a life path. And 
we think about how is that instilled? You know, what are early experiences that lead us to decisions when students are teenagers and ready to move on to college and then beyond? So there's so much tie, tied up into that. And it's very important that they look at not only what their career path is, but the value of the money that they're going to make and what that's going to provide for them. So it's more than what do I like? It's, it's also about what kind of life is this going to provide me? And as we know, there are a lot of inequities in, in pay scales. You know, I, I look at, you know, as an educator, what I've made versus what I could have made in the business world. So it goes back to also so many other things in terms of, well, what are you drawn to? How do you want to make a difference in somebody's life? How do you want to make a difference in the world? But by the same token, all of those decisions lead to a path, lead to your money-making abilities. And then what is that going to provide for you? Yeah. And you know what? For uh, Sotastic, the, the, just the idea of educating kids at an earlier age was yeah. very appealing because what you mentioned, the value of money, people don't realize until after college. And by that time, they've already uh, gotten in way over their head with college debt, credit card debt, car debt, and so on and so forth. And Correct. if they were just given some sort of a, a, a foundational education that, you know, I, I know traditional schools don't teach, right? If, they've give, if they're given that knowledge at an earlier age, then they can make wiser decisions, right? So Exactly, exactly. Because if you want to have a great life, it has to be financed properly, hmm. you know? So what are those goals? How do they evolve over time? You know, and then how do we create the mindset for that? You know, how, how do you get children to even think about that and parents to think about that and for it to be on the same track so that it leads to good decisions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let me drive in a little deeper because I know financial literacy is very important to you. It's very important to me uh, and my family as well. But why do you think it is a critical life skill for earlier ages versus as an adult? Well, again, it's instilling those, those habits of critical thinking, which certainly vary by age and vary by developmental milestones, correct? Helping a child understand at an early age what he or she can have, can't have, you know, why is that important? How do we differentiate the needs versus the wants? And it all leads to emotional maturity and emotional regulation regarding those decisions and how you're handling those needs and wants. Good stuff. Good stuff. You mentioned, you know, emotional maturity. I mean, I know kids get after their traditional education at school, but what, what kinds of financial teachings have you seen kids get at school, at traditional school? When you and I were talking earlier, you mentioned that in your current profession, you do talk to kids about financial options, like how that goes into decisions, managing motions. Can you expand on that a little bit? Can you, can you help sure, me understand sure. maybe more, some more examples? Yeah, yeah. In my experience, there has not been a lot of teaching around financial literacy. Certainly not in the elementary grades. Other than when you see children setting up a store, for example, or you see them setting up that lemonade stand because they want to finance something, right? Or oftentimes they'll do it for a charitable purpose, which is wonderful. 
So when you think about Alex's lemonade stand, for example, how that has raised money for um, good purposes, right? And that has expanded. So it's kids figuring out, well, how, how can I make money? You know, or how do I handle money, for example, in the elementary store, right? And then you move up to middle school and there might be some touch on it in life skills classes, for example. In one of the, my recent positions, I taught a middle school life skills class. And maybe we had two sessions on finances, you know, what what was a credit card, you know, what's a checking account, what's a savings account, what is compounding interest. And I remember giving the kids an exercise that said, okay, you've been given $500 for a gift, what are you going to do with it? And it was amazing to see the different responses, who was going to just go out and spend it on some sports equipment or some fancy sneakers or who was going to save it for a purpose later on, or who was going to figure out a way to both spend and save. So it was very, very interesting to me to see, you know, students at the age of 12, for example, having so many different thoughts about it. And then over at the high school level, there are classes in financial literacy, but by then you think, well, you know, this could have happened sooner perhaps. Mm -hmm. And, with things changing as much as they are with how technology is influencing how we handle money also, so much has to be taught. So wouldn't it be great at the school level to say, okay, well, this is how you set up an online banking account. This is what you need to understand about credit cards. This is what you need to know about planning for college and how you're gonna spend your money in college. Certainly now as I counsel students for college decisions, the biggest thing around it is how much is it going to cost and where am I going to get the money? Because as we know, college expenses are huge. And look at the student debt crisis that we're in, right? So there's a so, so much to think about, but it's a trajectory and you've got to, I think it's really important for kids to begin to understand at an early age why this is so important. Because again, you know, Money is such an important part of life. How do you finance your life? You know, everything in the material world revolves around how do you how do you have money to get what you need? So you also think about how you move in your life towards maturity. You know, your most basic needs have to be met first. So you you have to have the needs for food and shelter met before you can move on to things like love and self-esteem and belonging, and then eventually um, greater self-actualization. So it all begins at the bottom to move toward the top, right? Yeah. So that's a very interesting take. You mentioned age 12 is when you started, when you've taught. What age do you see as the sort of the ideal age based on what we know about kids and emotional maturity? How early should we start? And I I know there are kids that may be exceptions to the rule, but in general. Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint a specific age, but, you know, I I don't think, uh, you know, eight to 10 is too young to start, you know, just in understanding the value of money and understanding what it can do for your life and what it can't do for your life. And also in, in helping to begin to understand the emotional regulation around it. For example, how many times have we seen, you You see it with younger kids being in a store and having a bit of a tantrum because they want something and the answer is no, right? So at that age, it's, it's very hard to understand, well, why can't I have it now? But when you get a little bit older, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, and so on, 
there's a greater understanding. There's more abstract thinking rather than just concrete thinking. So understanding why, well, maybe not now, but maybe later, you know, and maybe maybe I need to think about, do I really need this or is it something simply that I want? For example, we want a toy right now because it's the popular toy. But then it winds up sitting in the closet, probably, <laughs> or children lose interest. And you think, OK, I've spent 50 or or $100 on that toy. And what purpose did it really serve? So helping kids to understand, well, you know, is this value worth it in terms of the gratification that I receive? Yeah, there's a, the principle of delayed gratification that exactly. I appreciate. Just in exactly. teaching kids. Yeah, right. I, Right. And a lot of kids uh, during these holiday times, during these Christmas times that have received a whole lot of gifts. I, That's right. from what you said, I'm sure parents are wondering, how do I make sure they appreciate each and every gift that they've got? Right. You know, like, right. Except for right. that, oh, I opened it. Hey, it's good. And then it's on the side. Right. So. Right. And, and there it goes. I like what, what some parents do is, uh, is the, the one in one out concept. Okay. If you're getting a new toy, then one goes out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because you don't need all of these toys. So if you're going to get a new one, then what can you do with this old one that you no longer need, you no longer want? So how can it serve someone else's purpose? So maybe I can give it to a charity. Maybe I can donate it. You know, helping them understand that it's it's not always also just around me, but also thinking about we, you know, the greater world. And again, how does all of this fit together and what's my role in it? Good stuff. Good stuff. You you talked about you know, the the type of topics that we teach kids. There is that angle to say, how do we make it palatable to different kids at different ages, right? How complex do you get? But there's the there's the flip side on receiving. I mean, mm-hmm. how does how does teaching through habits help retain or instill what you're trying to teach them? Well, you know, when you're when you're trying to teach habits, first of all, you want to model them right? You have to model them so we know what habits need to be taught. So again, you want to model what you want the child to do, to learn, to be, and so on. You also want to teach them how to balance that immediate gratification versus delayed gratification. And that also can be done through modeling, you know, giving your child examples of how maybe you waited for things as you were growing up, or maybe things weren't available. So you can do that through storytelling. I think that's really important as well. Teaching your child to learn to ask good questions, you know, and and to contrast and compare things to, again, develop a habitual response that is appropriate for them. And then also learning to deal with uncertainty, because even how how well-developed our habits are, things are going to come along that are going to throw us off, throw us off the path, and are going to help. uh, And then we have to find ways to bring ourselves back. When you think about money, it's probably one of the most emotionally charged um, topics, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So when, when you think about... For example, uh, in my counseling practice, I've met many adults who are so financially stressed or having having difficulties with their marital relationships or other relationships in the family, all due to money issues. So it's very, very emotionally charged. So when you are building your habits, regardless of what they're about, you want to find some consistency. When you think about um, like Covey's work, the seven habits of highly effective people, right? What are those habits? 
what do we learn from them and how do we apply them to different situations in our life? You know, how we teach our kids that fundamental money management skill is also going to carry over to other areas of their lives. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. And I absolutely loved your uh, point about discussing with your kids, especially after you model, you know, discussing some of the things that you are doing. As parents, I, I know the biggest thing that we can ask parents is just have patience. You know, when oh, yeah. they may be uh, asking the same question different ways. They may be repeating questions. That's right. Com- that conversation is actually a good interaction because what they're trying to do is take what they've learned in theoretical form in their classes and teaching things and all the things that they're learning as different dots and trying to connect them through the practical day-to-day things and how parents are applying those principles, right? Exactly. You you make me think of some, some things that I hear from students all the time, like, why do I have to learn this? Like, you know, students who are struggling in chemistry or in, in geometry, and they're saying, why do I have to learn this? You know, what practical application does this have to my future? And sometimes I struggle with answering that question. Like, I don't know why you have to know what a trapezoid is. You know, I would rather that you learn how to handle your credit card or how to handle your college payments or how to handle a work study type of thing that you're going to have to do in college. So there has to be some relevance, doesn't there? Yeah, I'm I'm actually going to ask you a a sort of an impromptu question, if I may. Parents that focus so much on their kids learning STEM, right? Science, technology, engineering, math. You you can add uh, art to it as STEAM programs, right? So they focus strictly on that. But and while they're great topics and they're proven topics, they don't give us much importance to the financial side. Well, why, why should my... 12 year old, 13 year old, learn about finances. If you had to talk to those parents, hey, this is as important, what would you say to those parents? I think I would say, how many times in a day does your child ask you for money? You know, how many times in a week does your child ask you for money? How many times in a month does your child say, I need to buy this or I need to have that? Or, you know, the, the, um, the football weekend is going to cost this much money or the spring dance is going to cost this much money. Why not have that understanding of the value that is placed on all of those things and what the actual monitor, monetary cost is? So when you look at the average cost of the dance, there's the tickets, there is the new dress. There's possibly the flowers. There's the the hairdo for the young lady. You know, maybe I also need to have a manicure done so I feel good. And well, maybe I need to also arrange for transportation and how much is that gonna cost? So, you know, having that fundamental understanding that all of these things that are part of their lives that are important have that value in terms of that emotional gratification but there's also a cost to it and understanding that and understanding what what do mom and dad have to do to finance this? What do I have to do to finance it? You know, or maybe the child gets an allowance and, you know, hasn't saved enough to cover those costs, you know, or has birthday gifts saved up. So that's why you have to learn about all of these things from an early age to, to gain that fundamental understanding of the cost of life. 
Yeah. You, you bring up a point that makes me think of a personal example. You know, I have a six-year-old daughter um, and a three-year-old son. As recently as during these COVID times, the conversation that I needed to have with them is, uh, you see daddy doing some work, that means I'm not able to play with you. Well, right. the reason I can't play with you is because the, the work leads to the income that leads to the things that you want, like raising their understanding mm-hmm. of money. Mm-hmm. It, it made them have like an aha moment, like, oh, okay, okay. So if I want like that better dress or that class that I want to take in order for me to get that, there's all these things that means that you're doing work now. That's why you can't right. play with us right now. And, you know, it's that connecting the dots for them. Exactly. If they come to the table with at least the basic understanding, it helps parents have such a positive interaction and explanation and discussions, right? right? Right. And I think one of the most important things is, is, you know, in, in the whole discussion is that allowance to express the feelings about it, you know, because inevitably there could be disappointment about things. Mm. or as, as much as there could be excitement about things. So it's important to acknowledge the child's perspective. Yes, you know, I know you want daddy to play with you right now. However, I can do it maybe in two hours time. So empathizing with them, yeah, I know that this is what you want right now, but let's let's figure out how we can make this work for you and for me. So in that sense too, you're also teaching them problem solving. Mm. Wow, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so I want to circle back on emotional maturity because I, I love that phrase that you use pertaining to kids. Mm-hmm. So in general, what tips can you provide for nurturing emotional maturity mm-hmm. in kids that can last? And, and this is, you know, speaking as a parent, speaking as an educator, but what can we do to nurture that? And what are some benefits? Well, when you think about emotions, they're basically messages that require a response. They're telling us that we need to act somehow. Mm-hmm. So I think the most important thing is, is honoring those feelings and understanding that they do signal something. And what does it signal? It's, it's evoking a need. An emotion evokes a need for what? So it's helping them understand how to manage those emotions and how to not necessarily immediately react and to take a pause. And in my work, I'm certainly dealing with all the anxious feelings, the depressed feelings, the stressful feelings. And we have to be able to differentiate, first of all, what is that feeling? And we have to be able to label it. We have to be able to understand it. Then we have to be able to acknowledge it, validate it, and help the child understand all of those things. So, okay, you're upset. What is it you're upset about? How did that come about? what do you think can be done about it, right? So it's, first of all, helping a child understand what is that emotion so that he or she then can begin to regulate it, right? So with little kids, I often use the uh, traffic light analogy. So if you're in a red light, that means you need to stop and think about it, right? Just stop. If you're in the yellow light area, well, let's proceed with caution. If you're in the green light area, let's go ahead. So let's just think about, well, what is that situation that is causing that feeling? And then where are you? Do you really need to stop and think? Can you proceed with caution? Can you go? But before you can do any of that, you need to understand what's happening. Okay, what's happening to myself? And then how do I regulate it? And the most important thing is, you know, before overreacting, we want to teach children how to pause. 
Okay, so pause and, and reflect and say, okay, what's happening? In the height of that moment, they could be crying, they could be hyperventilating. So what's the most important thing you need to do is stop, okay? And then guide them on how can they proceed with caution? You know, what can they do? What are the steps they can take? And then finally, how do you go? So, you know, that can be applied to, to kids of all ages and certainly to us as adults. Yeah, yeah. Right? Certainly yeah. to us as adults. So the first thing is even understanding, you know, how do I regulate my emotions? Um, because then that's what leads to emotional maturity. When you think about maturity, you are thinking about self-efficacy, for example. You know, how can I operate in my life in such a way that I'm effective I'm using my talents, my gifts well. I'm relating well to people. How am I developing those relationships? How am I interacting and so on? So all of those things that come together to create a whole sense of maturity and emotional maturity as well. You know, what can parents do? Well, the first thing is to model it. You know, kids are going to learn from what they see around them. Yeah. You know, yeah. When, when we look at little children and how they develop language, it's, it's all being modeled to them, right? So they're imitating. So children are going to imitate what is modeled to them. And as parents, we have to be the, the best role models. As educators, we have to be the best role models. So we want to, through our example, be able to give them guidelines as to how to proceed. The second most important thing, I think, is listening. We have to listen to them and we have to validate their feelings. We have to acknowledge them and we can't let them feel that you know, even, even though they might be exploding over something, they own that feeling, but they also have to own their response. It's easy then for us to lose our tempers sometimes and scold and say, okay, just don't do that. Mm. You know, who, who, who doesn't have those moments? But then you want to go back and say, hey, you know, let's talk about that. You know, you were upset, I was upset. So what do we do? What do we do about it? How do we proceed? So we have to allow them to express their feelings, but we also have to teach them how to regulate their feelings, how to regulate their responses. And then with that, teach them how to solve the problem. So then how does that relate to financial literacy? It all goes back to that very fundamental sense of how do I think about this? How do I relate to it? What does it mean in my life? How do I move forward with it? Wow. And you know what? So uh, it does uh, bring me to, unfortunately, our very last question. If you could turn back time and talk to your kid self, knowing, know, knowing what you know now about financial literacy and emotional intelligence that goes behind it, what would you advise her about financial thought process? Well, that's a good question. I think one of the first things would be, I guess I, I look back and say, I wish I had better awareness growing up of all of these things. Because I really didn't. Although at, at the age of 13, I, I went to work in my father's office. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> so, and, and kind of bartered for things. So sometimes instead of getting paid, uh, money was put away for me for eventually buying a car or was put away for me for college expenses, that sort of thing. So I, I learned at an early age the value of what my work was going to be able to provide me. But I wish I had greater control over it. So I think if I could have learned that, it would have been helpful. And I also think it would have been nice to have had greater self-confidence in my ability to make choices. 
around money because again, I think in, in the growing up atmosphere I had, there, there was a lot of control about it. So I think it's really important now to teach children that they have some control over these things. Again, according to what they are able to do at any given maturational level. But looking back, you know, to what childhood was then and what childhood is now, I think we have so many more tools to work with. We have so many more resources available to us. And we have to understand that children are exposed to so many more things, so (laughs) many more things, and that we have to also be aware of being uh, being in control of what we allow them to be exposed to. You know, what's going to be a positive influence in their life versus a negative influence. And we know that, you know, we have the responsibility to protect them from so many negative influences, just just of the whole consumer culture itself, you know, that tells us we have to have, we have to have, we have to have, we have to buy. Well, we, we don't really, you know, we don't. So we have to be able to help children understand those different values in life. You know, it comes down to fundamental values as well. And also, I think then, you know, you want to extend it further, giving them a greater appreciation of the whole concept of social justice and, you know, the haves versus the have-nots. And then how do we function in that world? How do we help others? How do we use what we have to really make a mark to make a difference and to help others and and to instill community. So, you know, even though we're talking about financial literacy, you see how it just explodes into so many other things, so many other things. I think we have a great opportunity here with Sotastic to lay that excellent foundational work that's going to help children understand, help children develop habits and help parents help their children do that. Wow, that, that, that is some good stuff, Diane. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you've de- definitely enlightened me. I heard about our listeners. I, I, I can tell you uh, this will be a, a very helpful chain of thought, topic, mindset. I mean, you, you've, you went through, you've gone through a lot of good stuff. And so good nuggets. So I appreciate your time. And I appreciate you coming on uh, our podcast today and just, just sharing some of those. I, again, I'm going to reiterate, I would love to have you back as uh, our next guest in the next couple of weeks, just to share some more deeper insights, if that's okay. Well, that sounds great. It's been my absolute pleasure and it really is a pleasure to be part of this. So thank you so much. Thank you, Diane. Appreciate it. The ideas, techniques, approaches, information, and opinions expressed in this video or podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Sotastic LLC and its employees. While the primary purpose is to educate and inform, it does not constitute professional advice or services. We hope, however, that the content presented here will assist you in developing a strong financial understanding and mindset. You may not edit, modify, copy, or redistribute this video or podcast with any other website computer, or playing device. Use of this video or podcast constitutes acceptance of these terms. All content of this video or podcast is subject to copyright international law. No private or public means or blog or website can repost or reproduce or modify and post its content without the written consent of Sotastic LLC.